funny we're talking about food because the title of my sermon is Almond Joy. Unique title, you'll see in just a little bit, as God usually always does. And I've taught on this subject before, but I can't even preach on it, so I'm going to preach it here this morning. Almond Joy. Numbers, part of the first five books of the Bible here. Let's begin reading in verse 3. Number 17. On the staff of who? Aaron or Levi. Write Aaron's name. For there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place him in the tent of meeting, in front of the testimony, where I meet with you. Dealing with the Holy, Holy of Holies there in the, the Ark of the Tabernacle. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout. And I will rid myself of the constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. It's funny how they were griping against uh, 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 Moses, but God took it personal. <laughs> so Moses spoke to the Israelites, and their leaders gave him 12 staffs, one for the leader of each of their ancestral tribes, and Aaron's staff was among them. Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. The next day Moses entered the tent of the testimony and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the house of who? Levi, need to remember that, had not only sprouted, but had what? Budded, blossomed, and produced almond joy. Father, I pray that we would also have almond joy here this, and be filled with your spirit, Lord God, because of your resurrection this Easter morning. Lord, enable us to, to glean from your word, to become better Christians, better people. Lord God, and become the church you've called us to be. I bless you for the visitors that are here this morning, Lord God, the new people. Lord, let them see that being a Christian, Lord God, is where it's at. Let them see, Lord God, that being a Christian is genuine life. Everything else is counterfeit. But Lord, those that may not have a, a, a rather a, a strict understanding of your word, let them acquire that here this morning. Let me be simple and precise to your word, Lord God, but, and let them receive it. Let even the youngest, the newest person, let them understand your word because it can be so profound. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody together said? Amen. Turn around, greet one another in the love of the Lord one more time prior to your being seated. Don't forget, after this morning sermon, and we're moving fast here, and I've done it uh, you know, consciously, we're going to have candlelight Easter communion. See, we're dealing here with the staff or the rod of God. The rod that budded, the Bible says. And that rod... It carries with it eternal significance. We're going to be dealing a lot today here with that word significance. Okay? This ring carries significance. All right? This ring carries significance. Somebody gave it to me. Didn't want it. Man, it's nice. Uh, what the lady said, remember I told you how, what she did? She got it and she threw it in the trash. So you don't want it? Okay, here. No, 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 no. What, what do you do? She says, because I want you to pray for my family every time you see this ring. She's deceased. She has three children that I pray for. She's gone on to be with the Lord. She knows about the power of the resurrection. But she was so smart that now her children are still being prayed for. Uh, significance. Here in the story of number 17, which is a carryover from the rebellion of the sons of Korah in chapter 16, God, he intervenes and he brings to life a broken and dead piece of wood. Uh, ring a bell? Uh, knock on wood, you. 
Like, that's what God is able to do through the power of the resurrection. The reason I don't do what I used to do is because the power of the resurrection is living inside of me. Uh, he brought a dead piece of wood back to life. Uh, and I've mentioned before, those, some of you are going to be born again this morning. And, you know, like I said earlier, I don't do the things I used to do because God's inside of my life. And I've mentioned before, and I want to bring this up for those of you that are new. Because some people, when they get saved, or people that are saved, they say, man, I don't want to be saved. Then I can't do what I want to do. And I tell them, yes, you can do anything you want to. <gasps> anything? You can do anything you want to. I can still drink. You can do anything you want to. I can still dance. You can do anything you want to. <gasps> I like that religion. Ah. Wow. I can do, I can, I can, you can do anything you want to. The only thing is, when you're really genuinely saved, when the Holy Spirit is really inside of you, God changes your want-tos. Yeah, he does. I don't want to drink no more. What for? Hallelujah. I got the real thing. That's a substitute. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is really filled. And I don't wake up on Saturday or Sunday morning saying, give me a menudo. Uh, I don't wake up with a, you know, cotton mouth dry on all that stuff or, you know, still spinning. Uh, everything else is counterfeit. And that's what it is. See, God changes my want-tos. Now I want to come to church. Uh, this ex-piece of wood wants to come to church. Okay, let's go on. Amen. See, God takes Aaron's rod and he re revives life to it. It buds, it blossoms, and almonds appeared on the rod. That's why I've called the, the sermon Almond Joy. But you're going to see the joy in just a little bit. Uh, and this was done as a sign from God in order to establish the priesthood of Aaron, the tribe of Levi. Are you with me? See, he did, he, he, he brought life to that wood, that rod, that staff, because he wanted to establish the priesthood forever uh, of Levi. All right? Well, not forever, but until, the new, until Jesus came. All right? He wanted to establish, because they were grumbling and everything was saying, how come they do this? How come they do that? Uh, there were a lot of grumbling, the, the rebellion of, of Korah. And God had chosen the Levites and Aaron a long time ago, but they still had to always get mad. How can they get to do that? Why do they get to serve at the altar? There was a lot of mumbling and grumbling. And if you were here on Wednesday, wow, was that a heavy sermon? Uh, the brother didn't know nothing that was going on. He, boom, God used him in a tremendous way. Because sometimes grumblings and mumblings happen in the house of God, unfortunately. Uh, I know because everything surfaces. I call it the cork principle. All good things, they surface. Like the cork. But even the bad things. And, and usually they say, Pastor, did you hear? Uh, that happens. Uh, now, many years later, God would once again bring his son Jesus Christ back to life from the very grave in order to do, as the book of Hebrews says, to make him, Jesus, a priest forever after the order of who? Melchizedek, not Aaron. Did you hear me? I want to give you a little study here, but you know, you got to stay, you got to stay with me here. All right? Because this is powerful stuff here this morning, I think. All right? Forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's mentioned there in the book of Genesis and also Hebrews. But not after the tribe of Levi or from Aaron. From Aaron's stock. See, the rod that budded, it's a symbol that can be used to set up and to describe the resurrection 
that God was to perform many years later. I hope you heard what I said. That's what it was. It was, it was significant for what God was going to do thousands of years later there with the rod. See, the resurrection, like an earthquake or a tornado, it can be defined, uh, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as an act of God. God was the one who raised Jesus, his son, from the dead. And the rod did that for a number of reasons. But just like he made the rod bud so as to prove to all of Israel that he was with Moses and with Aaron as a sign, he also, God, he raised Jesus from the dead as a sign to his church so that they, my friend, might believe and be strengthened as well. See, he, he allowed the rod to bud in the Old Testament as a sign. But he also, the resurrection is as a sign too, to you and I, to the born-again believers, to his church. Uh, so he could strengthen us behind that. See, as you read the accounts in the Bible regarding and pertaining to the resurrection, my friend will find that Jesus only showed himself when he resurrected to believers, and he did it for a reason. He didn't show himself to anybody else. They wouldn't believe anyways. They would have, oh, would have passed over. Uh, he did it to believers. Not to any unbelievers. But as you take notice of what the resurrection did to those very believers, you're going to see, my friend, that they saw their lives transformed much for the good. That's what the resurrection does. This Easter morning, your life, once you, you're able to sense and believe in what Jesus did for you, you're able to sense the power of the resurrection in your life, it can transform your life like it did, my friend, to the believers in the early church. It transformed their lives. Uh, that's why God has Easter services. Hallelujah. People are able to come. See, twice a year God testifies to the whole world. Christmas and Easter. This morning, God's going to testify. Would you stand God and testify, please? Uh, he testifies twice a year, just in case nobody else is listening. See, upon witnessing the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples went from cowards to courageous. That's what the resurrection can do to you. They went from being cowards. And we've mentioned before, Revelation 21.8, cowards are going to split hell in half. The first people to go to hell are not going to be whoremongers. Uh, it's not going to be evildoers. It's not going to be, you know, uh, murderers or, uh, you know. The first people cutting hell in half, Revelation 21, 8, I'm pretty sure that's the scripture, says there's going to be cowards. Uh, they're going to be the first people to open up hell. But he turned cowards into courageous individuals. They went from losers to leaders. Overnight, because of the power of the resurrection, that's what can happen in your life. Uh, I'm not calling you a coward, Hallelujah. See, a matter, as a matter of fact, Paul, he became so courageous, the Apostle Paul, that he goes on to even, pick up on this, talk about a face-off. Uh, some of you have seen face-off because you can do anything you want to. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Paul had a face-off with, with death in 1 Corinthians. I mean, talk about being courageous. I mean, Paul had guts. I mean, I admire people that got guts. Courageous. And the Holy Spirit can do this to you. Uh, you get people that were timid. All of a sudden, they can become terrific in the Spirit. Some of you are called to do that. All of you are called to do that. But not everybody answers the call. Uh, that's why God has brought you to a ministry like this. In a ministry like this, you've got to have heart. And not easy. We hang out. We hang out one centimeter from hell, by and large. Uh, I mean, we're right there. We're the Marines. Hallelujah. The Christians, more or less. Uh, but Paul had so much courage in him that he chooses off death. All right, come on, come on, come on, come on. 
Where's your sting at, eh? Huh? Oh, death, where is your victory? But he does. That's what the power of the resurrection can do to somebody. Because it's just death, where is your sting? Ah, that's what, I mean, talk about being courageous. Death, the Bible says, is swallowed up in victory. Paul was saying that death had not, you know, had now only become sort of like a, a chained Rottweiler. A chain Rottweiler, you, you can take it on. Not afraid of a chain Rottweiler. Because uh, all it can do to you is bark and mess with you. Uh, but it couldn't touch him. Paul was saying that death had carried its weight around in the Old Testament. But after the resurrection and the New Testament, death, uh, like a bee that has lost its sting, can only sting once. See, in the Old Testament, death had some power. Ah, uh, because they had to go to Shoal and Hades. That's where the dead would go. Uh, but after the resurrection, Jesus went in and took the keys from hell and death. Doesn't say the devil. Uh, you study the scripture. It says hell and death. Okay, which are like angels. The angel of death. Remember that? That's what death is. He took the keys from hell and death. Uh, remember, why, why, why couldn't hell hold Jesus? He was perfection. He was sinless. And hell was made for sinners. So Jesus went to hell to hang out for three days. Uh, all the demons, ah, he's here. Ah. So what happens there, my friend, is, you know, after the resurrection, see, it's like, death is like a, a, a bee. It can only sting you once in the Old Testament, but the New Testament ain't got nothing on you. Uh, the Bible says, and I do this many times, I, I preach on this in, in many funerals, we will not even see death. Uh, I believe it's John 8, 51. We won't even see death. Because it's not, not going to hang out there. It has no sting with us. It has no play to the born-again believer. Now, if you're not saved, boy, you're going to see death. It's ugly. I can imagine. Uh, but if you're a born-again believer, you don't have to worry about it. Look, Paul, he knew the scriptures. I ain't got to worry about death. They ain't going to mess with me. I'm born again. I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm not even going to see it, Jesus says. He's going to pass right by there. Did I die? What's going to happen? You're going to end up in heaven and say, what happened? How did I get here? Well, you passed on, but you didn't see death. Uh, see, so, you know, how many have ever been stung by a bee? And what do you do afterwards? You look at it. Uh, because, you know, it can't get you no more. <laughs> you were afraid in the beginning. <laughs> that was Old Testament. <laughs> uh, then all of a sudden, here comes the New Testament. Because <laughs> it can only sting you once. Uh, see, death no more, had no more sting. And church, this is what the power and the proof of the resurrection can do for us. It can give us power to even look death in the eye and not get scared, not get timid. It can give us courage over anything. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I can't lose. Any businessman knows that's a win-win situation. If I live, I win. If I die, <laughs> win again. Any businessman will tell you that's win-win. Ah. Has no sting. Now, getting back to the rod, the one with the blossoms and the almonds, it stood for new and future life. That's what it stood for. For a new life and a future life in the heavenlies with Christ. That's the reason why Easter is a time, my friend, where newness and freshness is stressed. 
Years ago, when I grew up in the Methodist church, I was baptized Catholic, but I never went to the Catholic church. My dad got saved on his deathbed. Still alive today, hallelujah. Uh, he was just preacher a couple of months ago. Uh, and anyways, when he started, got out of the uh, sanitarium, he was in the hospital. He spent about almost two years there. He would take us to church, the Methodist church. Every Easter, we'd get new clothes. Uh, but that goes along with Easter because it stands for new life. It stands for, it stands for a freshness. Uh, so that's why he, you see, you know, this is an old new, new, new suit. You guys bought it for me two years ago, but I hadn't done nothing to it yet. Finally did. Uh, so this, it stands for newness of life. That's what Easter signifies. Even the, the Easter lilies, it talks about a newness of life. Some of you can receive new life here this morning. Uh, talk about, what a time to be born again. Maybe I should just shut up right now and make the altar call. But we got to learn something. Then, we'll, then, we'll, then, I'll, then I'll do that. All right? But what a day to be born again on Easter. Uh, have Jesus Christ come into your life. Uh, well, my friend, see, there's a lot of significance with, that, that, with Easter. A lot of significance with, with the bud. A uh, lot of it. See, the Bible says that Aaron's rod was one of the three items that was kept in the Ark of the Covenant. We had the Ten Commandments, the Tabernacles. We had the manna. Uh, and then we also had the rod of, of Aaron. Okay? See, and all this stands for the promises of the resurrection. Now, some or most of God's people, they probably could not capture the significance of the rod. But my friend... We know that David did. Look at Acts chapter 2. Did you hear what I said? Most people could not understand. Why is that rod? Why is it there? Why is it one of the three pieces in the ark? The manna, the tablets, of the commandments, and also the rod. Most people in the Old Testament, they didn't understand what the rod stood for. But David did. I'm going to show you in Acts chapter 2. How he understood this. I'm going to give you three powerful scriptures. If you've got your Bibles, you've got to listen to hear from here. Here on in. This is one of them. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. To me, this is some profound stuff. But like I said earlier, when I was picking up the offering, everything ties in. Do you have Acts 2? 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by what? Miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep him, keep its hold on him. David said, David said about him. Who said about him? David. Okay, this is very important. I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. See, David understood what Paul did. Hey, because he's with me, I can even look death in the eye. Uh, and this was the Old Testament. Let's go on. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me in the grave. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with what? I'm in joy. Hallelujah. In your presence. Remember David dance? I will dance. I will dance. I will. I'm getting ahead of myself. Rewind. Uh, he had that almond joy. And he knew he, was, he, was, he wasn't dancing just to dance. People go to dances. You know, what they, you know where they go to dances? Yeah, you used to go, a lot of you. To look good. So 
train. Oh, it's fun today, huh? <laughs> I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying already. Uh, but we dance because we're in God's presence. Because of the power. That's why David danced. He understood what the bud stood for. It stood for resurrection. He he recognizes way back in the Old Testament. Let's go on. Let's go on. Verse twenty-nine, brothers. I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a what? Very, very important. He was a prophet and knew, knew that God had promised him an oath, on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on what? His throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. This is deep stuff. To me, this is deep. And he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Uh, see, David understood. There's a scripture in Hebrews 11, 22, one of my favorite scriptures. It talks about Joseph giving commandments regarding his bones. Remember that? Joseph says, don't bury me in Shechem. Excuse me, bury me in Shechem. Don't bury me in Egypt. When you people are delivered out of Egypt... And he was being prophetic because they were there for 380 years. He says, you know, hundreds of years later, when you get out of here, don't bury me. Take my bones with you and bury me in Shechem next to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because when the rapture happens, I want to be raptured with my forefathers. Talk about forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and that's forefathers. Uh, see, that's, that's a verse of vision. He was able to see all the way to the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And that's what David was doing here too. Joseph was not alone. David had that very same vision. He saw the first coming of Christ. He saw the resurrection of Christ. That's what it says here. He was able to say, hey, no, that stands for someday the Messiah is not going to come out of the tribe of Levi. He's not going to come out of Aaron. He's going to come out of my stock, David says. Out of my stock. Hallelujah. Out of the tribe of Judah. My tribe. But how's it going to happen? We're going to find that out in just a little bit. Stay with me. Stay tuned. Are you, are you understanding? Ooh, la la, so soon. God has to fulfill the scriptures. How could that happen? He's supposed to come under the tribe of Levi, all priests. No, no, no. Not this one. Let's go on. Let's go on. I'm not going to say I'm getting close to closing. Uh, see, David was not alone or to be overshadowed by Joseph. The Bible says in Acts 2 that we just read that David as well saw to the resurrection of Christ. Is it any wonder that David would be the one who would heavily safe keep and take care of the ark of God. Remember that he brought it back, the ark? Because he understood what it stood for, the significance of the ark. And he valued that ark. And he brought it in. The Bible says he danced before it. I can't dance, but... Hey! That's the way the Jewish do. Hey. Uh, they got soul. <laughs> uh, because he was happy now. He says, man, I see this ark is so important. It's got the tablets. It's got the manna, but it's got the bud. This bud's for you. Uh, he understood that. It's for you, man. For us, for the born-again Christians. That's the reason the Bible, the Bible says David, he danced when he was returning the ark back to Israel. See, church, and this is heavy. David saw things in the ark that only a prophet can see. Not everybody could see the significance. The David, the Bible says we read, was a prophet. See, sometimes you can't see things. Sometimes you, you listen to people preaching, they're, they're prophetic. All preachers got to be prophetic. 
He's sitting going, huh? But sometimes some prophets can see like, ooh, this is deep. This is some heavy stuff. David saw that. He saw what the, the ark stood for. Ah. When we study the Bible, my friend, we're going to find that David was a king and he was a prophet. But uh, he was always unable to serve in the capacity of the office of a priest. He couldn't. That's why David always had the high priest with him. That's why he always had somebody around him. Remember Saul, when he was supposed to sacrifice, he had to wait three days for Samuel, the high priest. Samuel didn't come. So finally, Saul took matters into his own hands. You're not supposed to do that. The Bible says, you'll die. You're going to perish. Can he offer sacrifices to the Lord? Because he conquered. Can't do that. He had to wait for the priest. David only had the office of a king. He had the office, my friend, of a prophet. The Bible says, but he was not a priest. So he couldn't do these things. Ah. That's the reason why the king has always had these priests around him. See, but David was able to comprehend that the rod with the bud, with the almonds, had enabled Aaron to be a priest. Did you hear that? Now, the rod of God uh, forever established the order of the priesthood to the family of Aaron the Levite. Okay? That's what it established. The rod. And David, who wasn't a priest, because he wasn't of the lineage of Aaron the Levites, he was from Judah. Yet he knew, listen to this, he knew, according to scripture, the Messiah was going to come from his stock, from his roots. Ah, the root of the stock of the tribe, of, from Jesse's stock, Judah. He knew that. He didn't know necessarily how it was going to happen too much. Well, you know what I'll say? Yes, he did. And let me keep you in suspense. Then I'll show you how he knew. Are you with me? See, he knew that the Messiah would have all three offices. The Messiah, according to scripture, would be a king of kings, Lord of lords. He'd be a prophet. But he'd also be a priest. Preach it now. He'd also be a priest. Okay? He knew that. Uh, but how in the world, or out of this world, uh, was this going to happen? How would Christ become a priest? How would this transformation take place? This transition? How would it go from the tribe of Levi to the tribe of Judah? How could the Messiah acquire the office of a priest and thus fulfill all scripture? The answer, and David knew, okay, that's the reason he could dance, was by the resurrection. The sign of signs. I almost titled the sermon The Sign of Signs, but I like I'm enjoying. The sign of signs. The resurrection. God used a sign from the rod to bud to establish, my friend, out of this bud. He established the tribe of Levi and Aaron to be the priest. But he had to change it to the tribe of Judah. How could God do this? Because God is very meticulous. God does things the correct way. God doesn't get out of his grace level. God stays, my friend, where he needs to be. And God was not about to break, my friend, the, the, the commandments. He was not about to break anything that he said in order. But the way he could do it, my friend, was through the power of the resurrection. That was the sign of signs that enabled, my friend, the priesthood to be transferred to Jesus, the tribe of Judah. That's how he did it. There's a lot of significance to the resurrection. There's more to it than we know. You're going to come out of here, you're going to be leaving today going, Ooh, what happened today? The resurrection is pretty deep stuff. Yeah, it is. Ah, see, the rod that budded was the way God used to, you know, forever establish uh, Jesus after the, 
the order of Melchizedek. The Ra that was once dead and now lived and continues to bloom and to blossom. And that, my friend, was one of the three items in the ark. And it stood for the resurrection. See, the resurrection would be the vehicle that would enable and establish Jesus' claims to become a high priest. The resurrection would entitle Christ to move and to operate in the office of a priest. Because Jesus, again, was not from the lineage of Levi, but from Judah. And without Christ being able to operate in the capacity of the office of a priest, you and I would be in trouble. We'd be in trouble. He wouldn't be able to pray for you like a priest. And that's what he's doing right now. He ever liveth, the Bible says in Hebrews, and maketh intercession for you and I. Now he can be a priest. See, he walked on this earth to fulfill a lot of scripture, but the final scripture he had to perform was through the resurrection, that he could pray for us. Holy Mary, Mother of God, be with us in our hour of need. She didn't resurrect. Sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry. But, but it's not according to scripture. Sorry, sorry. Because a lot of us I know were from the, you know, Holy Mary, Mother of God. I know that. But she didn't, Buddha didn't resurrect either. Hey, even if they would have, so what? It wasn't according to scripture. It had to be the Messiah, Jesus. In order to, to help us. Look at these last scriptures, then I'm done. Hebrews chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 7. This is profound. Last night I couldn't stop reading these scriptures. So I just kept going and going and going. Hebrews 5, 1 through 6. And then verse, chapter 7 is a big one. Do you have Hebrews 5? Now those of you that don't have your Bible, I'm going to read it real loud because you need to listen to this. A lot of reading, but you've got to listen. Every high priest, beginning in verse 1, is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. That, that's the high priest. He's weak too. Like the Pope and me. We're all weak. This is why he has to offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as for sins of the people. Uh, even, even the Pope and the pastors, when they come before Jesus, we have to say, Jesus, forgive us of our sins. We have to. Uh, verse number four. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of who? Melchizedek. Jump down to chapter 7. Beginning in verse 11. Here's where it gets real, real. Wow, wow, wow. Do you have it? Hebrews 7, 7, 11. Hallelujah. If perfection could have been been attained through the Levitical priesthood for on the basis of the law in uh, it, basis of it the law was given to the people why was there still need for another priest to come See, because you can't find perfection in the Old Testament huh? everybody all have sinned but in the order of Melchizedek not in the order of who Aaron not in not Aaron's way not that way for when there is a change of the priesthood there must also be a change of the law he of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe. Talking about Jesus and the tribe of Judah. And no one from that tribe has ever been served at the altar. 
For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. One who has become a priest not in the basis of regulations as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an undestructible life. The resurrection! Last year I, I spoke about the power of an indestructible life. I spoke on the scripture. It's talking about an indestructible life is a part of the resurrection. If Jesus is living inside of you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, you have an indestructible life as well. You're going to live forever and ever. And even if you die tomorrow, you're still going to live forever. Because, you know, salvation is not about a quantity of life, it's quality of life. That's what salvation and born again experience is. Let's go on, let's go on. I'm getting close to closing now. Verse 17. For it is declared, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay. The former regulation is set aside because it was what? Weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. Nothing. And the better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest. How long? Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing its office. But because Jesus lives, how long? He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely or to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. See, God can now intercede, which is third level prayer. Not Mickey Mouse asking kind of prayer. Not seeking kind of prayer. Intercession. Third level prayer. Powerful prayer. Because of the resurrection. That's the reason why your needs can get met. Because Jesus now, due to the resurrection, can function in the office of a priest. Ah, that's why he can change your life. That's why he can. I mean, don't you want him on your side? To make intercessions for us? To answer your prayers? Ah. You know, the last thing Jesus said on the cross when he was dying, into your hands, I commit my spirit. One translation says, I trust you, Father, with my spirit. It has to do with trust. See, that's how you enter into the power of the resurrection that many of you need here today. By trusting and depending and having faith in God. Faith. Having faith. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. In other words, I'm not my will, but you will be done. I completely give myself to you. Uh, and what does he do when you trust him? When you depend upon him? Uh, he goes to bat for you. He'll take care of you. You know, the story goes that there was a little girl who had a fan. She had a fan. Real nice fan. You know how little girls can be. Amen. Picasso came to the little girl's house. And he saw how plain and simple it was. So they, you know, during the course of the meal and stuff, she, she, he asked the little girl, let me have the fan and I'll paint a real nice portrait for you there, a real, real nice picture. She said, no, my fan. See, if she would have trusted Picasso with her fan, that fan would have been a whole lot more valuable today. No, no, give my fan. Into your hands I trust my spirit. That's how he got into the power of the resurrection. When you trust God with your life, he'll paint it and he'll make it a lot more valuable 
than it is right now. No, my friend. My life. My life. Don't touch me, Jesus. Can't touch this. The choice is yours. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Because every head is bowed and every eye closed. Spirit of God, moving in ministry. I would pray that you would be able to say, Jesus, I need the power of the resurrection in my life. Just like you committed your spirit to your heavenly Father, I want to be able to trust you with my life. Paint it into a spiritual Picasso. And that's what he will do. Forever a priest after the order. Forever a Melchizedek. Not of Aaron. Not of the tribe of Levi. But through Melchizedek, he's able to love the whole world. Through the priesthood of Christ, he's able to usher in grace to cover that acacia wood. Your flesh. Covered with the grace of God. David understood what the bud stood for. That's why he was full of almond joy. The resurrection. Today we're here on Easter morning to celebrate the resurrection. Some of you didn't even know what it's for. Today, hopefully you're able to understand the significance of Easter. The real meaning of it. What it did. It enabled Jesus to become your intercessor. Your prayer warrior for life. Your prayer partner. Through thick and thin. Through good times like we're going to have today at the picnic and bad times, hard times. That we'll all go through as well. But he's able to be there with us. He'll be there. He'll be there. See, the resurrection enabled Jesus to be with you always and forever. Some of you are going through some difficult times right now. He wants you to know that he loves you and he'll be with you always and forever. But you need to trust him with your fan. Trust him with your heart. Trust him with your life. Because every head is bowed and every head closed. Spirit of God moving in ministry. You say, Brother Steve, this